You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. What I was charged to do with when I was ordained as a pastor was to preach the gospel, to t- tell people about Jesus. And sometimes we get this idea that Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. He doesn't show up until the New Testament. No, he's all over the Old Testament. And we see him every week, don't we? Every week we see him in, in what, we, uh, what we're reading, and it, it shows us so much more about Christ. And so there's, there's some pastors out there, and I'll, I'll just throw this out there as a warning and, and something to tell you to be careful about. There's some pastors out there, some famous pastors, who are saying we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Uh, if you hear that, stop listening to that person. Stop listening to that person. Uh, they are wrong. They, they, would, they are, would, are ripping off the people that are following them of so much. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. <laughs> so you want to learn about Jesus, you need the Old Testament. But Jesus was in the Old Testament all the way back to creation. So, it, you know, it's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus in today's passage too. So, and we're talking about King David who we've said all along is a Christ type. You know, he's, he's a shadow of things to come. In fact, we're even calling this portion of Samuel the shadow king. Some of that has to do with the shadow he has cast with his failures now that we've had to deal with. How is this a man after God's heart in light of all these failures? And there are many. And yet at the same time, we see uh, not only is he still a man after God's own heart, but we can be a person after God's heart even in spite of our failures. So before we look at David and, and the Bible and scratch our heads and go, how can we call this a man after God's heart? You know, that's, that's hypocritical. Well, you and I are in no different shape. We are sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I don't deserve anything from God. I've never deserved anything from God. My mistakes are evident in my life. You can see them. And, and yet, I want to go after God's heart. And if I ever read a Bible that, that, that showed me only a perfect person could do that, then there's no hope for me. There's no hope for you. So when we see stuff like this, we see character defects and flaws, don't be so quick to go, oh, you know, the Bible, you know, it's hypocritical, it's contradicting itself. No, no. The Bible is a mirror for us to see ourselves and understand how God feels about us and what he hopes for us and what he dreams for us. And David is a great example of that, and we'll see why he is called a man after God's heart again today. So we, uh, we are picking up where David is running now. He's taking as many people as would come with him out of Jerusalem because his son Absalom is coming to take it over. And Absalom has stolen the hearts of Israel. He's... Um, and, and he's done so because he doesn't feel like David is serving any justice, and that's because David didn't serve justice. But now Absalom has become really a monster. He is uh, using deception. He's, he has taken a victim mentality. He's creative, created a victim mentality in other people, and now he's exploiting that victim mentality. 
and it's not a good situation. And David knows it, but David loves Israel. And so he's actually trying to spare some pain by running uh, and taking people out of Israel. And that's where we were last week. We saw him getting out of Israel. And uh, the only people that we read about going with him are the Cherethites, the, the, um, the, all the ites. Uh, but we don't hear anything about the Israelites going with him. And we said, and what we ended with, we are learning and we're seeing that David is learning who his friends are and who his friends are not. And we're going to see a lot more of that today. How many know when you're going through life's battles, some of those brought on by your own failures, you start to learn who your friends really are? Am I right? And, uh, and I, I, I just... Um, you know, you do unto others as you want done unto you. When I see a friend or even a, a distant friend fail, I am just compelled to come close to that person because if I get caught up in failure, I want that for me, right? I want to be the real friend that I want to have when I'm in that situation. And so David's finding out who his real friends are. He's gonna find out who some of his enemies are in this, in this passage today. Second Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse one. When David had gone a little beyond the summit, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, was right there to meet him. He had a pair of saddled donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit, and a clay jar of wine. The king said to Ziba, why do you have these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride. The bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine is for those to drink who become exhausted in the wilderness. Where is your master's grandson, he asked. I'm going to hit the pause button right there, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So it says that when David went a little bit beyond this guy, Ziba, that's a cool name, by the way, I just think Ziba, right? But anyways, this guy, Ziba, comes along, and he's the servant of Mephibosheth. And before you make fun of me for having a hard time saying it, you try to say it, all right? Mephibosheth. I don't know like, if, what they would call him for short, but I got tired of typing it, and so in my notes, it's just meth. <laughs> so, so meth, not meth, okay? So Mephibosheth, he was Mephibosheth's servant. Now, Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son. King Saul was the one that David ran from for years, and Saul tried to kill him. He was the first king of Israel. He turned out to be an epic failure of a king, and he was trying to kill the one who was actually anointed to be king after him, David. Um, and then David became really close friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And, and they were uh, so close, in fact, that Jonathan helped David escape his own father and, and, uh, and really took on David uh, and, and believed that David was supposed to be king. But then we read about just how close they were. They were very close friends. In fact, we even had to take some time to explain that it was, in fact, a platonic relationship because of how close the Bible talks about them being, and it was. Um, but Jonathan asked David to make a, an oath that when Jonathan had passed and David become king, that David would please show his family kindness, that he would take care of his family, that he wouldn't come after him. And Mephibosheth is one of the only remaining uh, parts of Saul's house. There's more than that we're going to see. But Mephibosheth would have been the heir to the throne of Israel. 
except that he was crippled. And so he it really wouldn't have been a great candidate for king, but even then, in the right order, he would have been. And, and traditionally, a king, a new king from a new family, would really rout out the previous king and his family so that there isn't any divided loyalties and all that kind of stuff. But instead, David, honoring that oath, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he says, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? So he wasn't looking to destroy, he was looking to show kindness. And, um, and Jonathan was that friend, in, in, in other words, closer than a, a brother. And even though that his dad was trying to kill David, uh, David wants to show kindness to Saul's house. And when Jonathan dies, he says, is there anyone that I could take care of for Jonathan's sake? And Mephibosheth says he had both feet were injured, so he's, he's crippled. And, and really, uh, just you would expect the previous administration to destroy him, but that's not what happens. Here's what David says to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7. Don't be afraid. Why would he be afraid? Because typically, this is not what would happen. Don't be afraid, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore you to your, your grandfather Saul's fields. I'm not even just showing you kindness. I'm going to give you property, right? And you will always eat at my table. To which he says back to David, what is your servant that you take an interest in me? So he has a humble heart. And, got, and David restores things back to Mephibosheth. <laughs> And so Ziba is his servant, and he's charged with the duty of keeping that promise David made to him. And so all of these things are furbished by the king, and Ziba comes and brings all these great things. He brings donkeys, he brings bread, he brings fruit, uh, and he, he brings wine, and all of those things. And he says it's for the king's household, it's for the young men to eat, it's for those who become exhausted. And David's first question isn't, you know, where'd you get all this? You know, whatever, because it's all David's anyway. He's the king. He says, where is your master's grandson? Where's Mephibosheth? The king asked. The land's about to be invaded. Where is he? And that's where we pick it up in the next verse. Why, he's staying in Jerusalem, Ziba replied to the king. For he said, today the house of Israel will restore my grandfather's kingdom to me. And the king said to Ziba, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. So, so Ziba's saying, what your master's grandson is doing now is he's staying in Jerusalem because he sees an opportunity to get his father's kingdom back. From Absalom, who really had no business giving anything to anybody. So this guy that he shows all of this kindness to, all of, of these great things, he's going to walk away, Mephibosheth is going to walk away from that and turn to Absalom to get those things. It, 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 it's betrayal, yes, but it's also from the outside looking in, you know, looking back, always 2020, it's like, what are you doing, man? You already have all these things. Why would you go to someone else who, who's usurping and who, who has no business doing what they're doing? Why would you go to someone like that to try to get something you already have from the king? 
And, and it, before we get too judgmental, we do this all the time. God gives us love. He gives us purpose. He gives us relationship. He gives us fulfillment. He gives us salvation. He gives us provision. After all, he is the king of kings. It's all his to give to us, right? And even though Jesus makes all these things available to us, we will often, in fact, probably most of the time until a certain point in our lives, go to someone else, anyone else, anything else to fill those holes that only God could fill. And so this is betrayal, yes. I rescue you from your own fate of destruction. I allow you to have property in my kingdom. I allow you to eat at my table. But now you see an opportunity for what you think is more, and you're going to take it. Was the kingdom of Israel something Absalom even really had the, the ability to give to anybody? No, it wasn't his to give. And even so... Do we think Mephibosheth would have been in a place to be king? No, we already knew that. He was responding to fake news. And he was allowing a lie to pull him away from the true source of all those good things. And there's a lesson here for us. Because when we do that in life, Jesus makes all of the things. He could say, we could say, that, hey, haven't I given you property in my kingdom? What will you and I have? Everything you have, everything belongs to Jesus. What you're ha you have, you're allowed to have because the king of kings has allowed you to have it. He said, I've given you property in my kingdom. I let you eat at my table. I give you the right to be called children of God. And now this. And we do it. And it's not just betrayal. It's betrayal against Jesus, but it's even betrayal against ourselves because in the end, we are left empty. We are left with a pointless life. We are with a shadow of what we could have had. That's what's going to happen, right? Or that's what would happen to Mephibosheth. But there's more to this than what's going on. And, and the king, but the king believes what he's being said to him. So he says to Ziba, all right, everything that's his is now yours. I'm going to give it to you. And Ziba's like, I bow before you. May I find favor with you, my lord, the king. And we're going to find out a little bit later that what Ziba is saying is actually completely unsubstantiated. It wasn't really Mephibosheth that was doing that to David as much as it was the person right in front of David's face. Ziba has now been given all that belonged to Mephibosheth. And he says, may I find favor? But Ziba was the one delivering fake news. And this is the second time David's been delivered fake news. I don't know if you recall a few weeks ago, but uh, David is delivered some news that Absalom killed all of his sons. And the truth was he only killed the one. And it created more problems. And here we find this happening again. And it seems successful. Why? Why does David just take things at face value here? I mean, we're in the middle of what appears to be a, a growing war, and, uh, you know, why does he just, I mean, he obviously trusts Ziba because he just, okay, Ziba, it's all yours now. <laughs> he gave it all to the person who was actually backstabbing him. And that's, again, that's a lesson for today. Fake news 
is used to manipulate people on a large scale. That's what Ziba was doing. He was trying to manipulate David. And it's the same today. Fake news that, that exists to manipulate people, to divide nations, to divide cities, to divide people at work, divide churches, divide families. What's posted on social media, what's broadcast on TV and radio, it happens all the time everywhere we look. Half-truths, stretched truths, bold-faced lies, if left unchecked, will cause you to do crazy things like what David's doing here. But why does he believe this so easy? Well, for one, we were talking about all his trusted advisors. But whereas we're seeing, all these trusted advisors are turning. Ahithophel has sided with Absalom, right? And he was a trusted divider. Ziba, again, just like that. It was also wartime. There, was, there always is fake news during the fog of war, right? And so the easy thing to do at this point is just to take what's said to you at face value and go ahead and respond to it. Not always the right thing. But before we really dig into why did David buy into this so easily, perhaps we just take this as an occasion to ask ourselves the same question. And I'm going to say some things that, that might, you know, you might wonder, am, am I talking about, is he talking about me? If you're asking that question, probably, I love you, just so you know. But I see so many on social media, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, whatever, so many posts that are liked, that are loved, that are reposted, that when you just take a minute or two to dig into it, you realize it's fake news, it's half-truths, it doesn't include all the information, and it's misleading. And I see people I know, people I love, and people I respect doing this sort of thing. And then other people build their whole worldviews based on just a headline, just a clip, just what they heard, just what they're being told at school, just what they're being told by another friend, without doing the homework themselves to find the truth. And it destroys people, it destroys families, it destroys communities, it destroys cities, it destroys nations. And I have to say this, the fake news that we deal with today not only drives those divisions, it drives, I mean, we've had to talk about it when it comes to elections. Leaders are decided on we don't know, maybe arguably by and large, based on snippets of fake news. I was talking to Pastor Micah Friday night, and uh, we had an election this last uh, Tuesday, and I hope all of you voted. But uh, the, the, my representative for my part of the city, Jared Evans, he was at one of the polling stations, and somebody who... Um, openly supported Pastor Micah, and Pastor Micah has, he, he took, he, he's on the library board for Hamilton County, and he was able to take some really disgusting books. He showed me pictures. I don't even want to see the pictures. They were in the children's section. This is not fake news. I've seen it with my own eyes. They were in the children's section, and he had them move to the adult section. Not removed, moved. Okay, and so some my my representative ran into someone who supports that, and he said he went up to him. He's like, "Oh, you support Pastor Micah? You want to burn books?" No, I never said that. Neither did Pastor Micah. Oh, that's right. No, he wants to destroy literature and, and make it harder to access, you know, free speech. 
fake news. He didn't. You know, I could make the argument that those books should be removed completely. He didn't even do that. He just had them moved out of one section of the library, the children's section, to another section. And they built a narrative of fake news to attack him for doing that. Then, when this person called out that person and said, I never pegged you for being a liar, but you are lying right now. And you know what my representative's response was, and this is why it's so important to vote? I can't even say what he said to the guy. But it starts with the F word, two F words. One of them, if I say it, would get me canceled because it refers to gay people. And the other one would get me fired for saying it in here, but it wouldn't really do anything in the rest of the world. It's the F dash 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 word. So I wrote an email to my representative. Hey, you're not representing me well. You might disagree with that position, but I don't want you saying those kinds of things to somebody. But he was using fake news. And those, those little snippets, oh, I can't vote for that guy, he wants to burn books. Nobody said that. And we can't even talk about the real issue, pornography in kids' sections of libraries. Because of fake news. And to top that off, people justify all kinds of violence based on fake news. David's doing something crazy here. People do crazy things because they only know part of the truth or just a total lie. And it, it creates a lot of problems. The ultimate fake news. So fake news is nothing new, by the way. It's nothing new. We act like it's new since the internet got here. No, the internet just exploded it and exposes it. But the ultimate fake news, and if you've heard this or you know people who believe this, Jesus either didn't exist, he's dead, God doesn't exist, there's no hope for your life, what we see is all there is, that's fake news. There's no hope for you, that is fake news, right? Evolution leaves our young people believing that they're only here by chance because their lives are only temporary. It doesn't matter what they do. It's fake news. Without the truth, the whole truth, people get put in bondage. They stay in bondage, and eventually they become members on an army with the mission of destroying the truth. We, followers of Christ... Like we, we would say to David right now, David, you got to do better vetting this kind of news. We have to do better vetting the news that we are given. Yes. We've got to do better. We can't t- keep taking headlines at face value, and we cannot afford living in this world without the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. We can't afford it. Right? And you look at David, and you go, my goodness, David, like... Your trusted advisors are dropping like flies, and this guy, Ziva, just told you something just completely mind-blowing, and you're just going to believe him. (sighs) But we do it all the time. And it feels like at this point, with this kind of news, David's finally hit rock bottom. I I was saying to the team this morning, like, I really want to turn a corner with David here. This period of time in his life seems to be dragging on. It's a real downer. (laughs) Like, it's just a real downer, and yet 
It feels like, okay, he's hit rock bottom, but then things get even worse. Verse 5. When King David got to Baharum, a man belonging to the family of the house of Saul, so another one belongs to Saul, was just coming out. His name was Shmi, son of Gera. And he was yelling curses as he approached. He threw stones at David. Remember, the violence, fake news, right? Threw stones at David and all the royal servants, the people and the warriors on David's right and the left. Shmi said as he cursed, get out. Get out, you man of bloodshed, you wicked man. The Lord has paid you back for all the blood that you shed in the house of Saul. Remember, fake news. David spared Saul's life over and over again. And here's this man believing a lie, throwing stones. We see it all the time today. The Lord's paid you back for all the blood you shed in the house of Saul, in whose place you became king. And the Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son, Absalom. Look, you're in trouble because you're a man of bloodshed. <laughs> Can it continue to please get worse for David? Right? He's trying to get away from all this. He just learned, or at least he thinks, that this man that he showed so much kindness to is turning on him, and now he's getting stones thrown at him. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? Yes, the nation, when David first became king, it says they loved him, but there were still those that always hated him, right? And this guy is a member of Saul's family. We can maybe understand why but he's still responding to fake news. And all of these people, now that things are in trouble for David, are now coming out of the woodwork. Have you ever seen that happen before? People who are otherwise silent about whatever it is, whatever opinion they have, when there's something else big that comes out that they think they can stand behind, all of a sudden they're gonna come out of the woodwork and get loud about their opinions. Like, this is King David here. Who are you throwing stones at King David? But now there's a new guy in town, Absalom. So now I've got all this newfound courage to stand up for the truth and throw rocks at the other king. Now, <laughs> that's, you know, for us, maybe it's just we hide behind our screens and we, we post our opinions because we don't have to say anything face to face. But anyways, that's another story. This guy comes out of the woodwork. And still, not everything he's saying is wrong. It's half-truths, and that's a lot of times how that works. He is, he is a man of bloodshed. The Lord said, the sword will not leave your house because of what happened with Bathsheba. But that's not how anyone wants to be remembered, right? He's saying, the Lord has paid you back. The Lord was making good on his word. But that's still not how David wants to be remembered. And praise God, because of God's grace and mercy, we remember him as a man after God's heart. This person wanted to destroy that legacy. And thank God he didn't, because we need it. Verse 9, Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and remove his head. <laughs> yeah, I just saw someone go, <laughs> That's kind of severe. He's throwing stones. You want to cut off his head? Uh, <laughs> but the guy, but he's the king, right? Like he, he wants to defend the king. And just like when Saul was chasing after David, there's so many times people said, let's go take him. You can take him. Saul's right there. And it's in your right to do so. And Abishai's kind of continuing that that mentality, like, hey, it's your, your king. Who is this guy? Make an example out of him. And yet again, we start to see the heart after God when he's, 
not taking this into his hands. He wants to let God either be his defender or the one bringing this to pass. That takes, that takes some courage. Verse 10, I love this. The king replied, sons of Zeruiah, do we agree on anything? <laughs> like, like, do you not get me yet? Do you not understand me yet? You want to cut off this guy's head? I'm like, what, what are you doing here? We don't agree on anything. I would have never thought that. That's not what I want. Do you even know my heart? Do we agree on anything? Don't you understand how I see what's happening? I just love this question because David's attitude is such a stark contrast to what I will say my attitude would have been, which is maybe not to cut the guy's head off, but to shut him up for sure. Like, I'm not going to let you get away with talking like that. I am going back to Jerusalem. I am still going to be king, and you're not going to get away with this. But David's like, no, don't you get it yet? Don't you get me? What do we, do we agree on anything? And listen to what he says next. He curses me this way because the Lord told him, curse David. <laughs> Have you ever been ridiculed or gone through something and you go, well, the Lord must have told that guy to say that about me. <laughs> I don't do that, like, right? For one, it's a different time, and we, we want to speak truth over our lives, and yet at the same time, his attitude was such faith in God that perhaps even what God said would happen to him after Bathsheba, that maybe this was part of it, and I'm gonna let God be God. I'm not gonna shut this man up because maybe God wants this to happen. So the Lord told him, curse David, therefore who can say, why did you do that? Then David said to Abishai and all his servants, look, my own son, my own flesh and blood intends to take my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse me. The Lord told him to. Perhaps the Lord will see my affliction and restore goodness to me instead of Shmi's curses today. Maybe if I endure this for a little while and trust God through it, he'll restore me. And, and I'm not saying God puts people in your life to, to speak curses over you. We, we've, this world has an enemy that will do that all day long. Whatever happens, God allows for sure. But I would love to say we could take on an attitude like David. If, I can, if God will walk through this with me, perhaps there will be blessing on the other side. Because God uses these things to make us more like Jesus. Remember, David is a Christ type. He's like Jesus in the Old Testament, but he's definitely not Jesus. <laughs> right? And it, it may be that when we have those kinds of trials, and there's plenty of passages in the New Testament, you know, when we're told to rejoice when we have trials, why? Because they produce things in our lives that we take on the attitude that David had and say, perhaps the Lord's allowing this, and perhaps he'll restore goodness to me, and I will be more like him after I go through this. 
Maybe you're going through a really difficult time right now. And, you know, we go to Jesus and, man, I just want him to fix my problems. Anybody else? Like, just, just fix my problems. Make life easy. Please, Lord, please. <laughs> and sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. Praise God. Other times he uses those difficulties and he allows them even to sometimes get even more difficult. <laughs> but in the end, when you look back, you go, wow, I really see the hand of God in my life at that time. Thank you for walking through that with me. Lord, and I go through life's storms. There was a man who told a story once. He was hiking with his little boy. And a storm came. And I could relate because I remember the first time I took Ethan up Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire. I loved hiking the mountains in New Hampshire. And the first time I took Ethan up there, we got up to the summit and it was beautiful, but I could see on the horizon, it was all of us, there was a storm coming. And we were at the top of this mountain and a storm was on the way. And I was like, we take a good look. We got to go. Time to go. And we didn't get below the tree line, right? So above the tree line where it's just stone, we didn't even get below the tree line when it started, a deluge came. And he was scared. Emma was with us too. She was scared. He was really scared. And uh, Danya and I took turns holding him on our way down the mountain. And then I was scared. <laughs> it's challenging enough to go down a mountain it's more challenging when it's slippery because of the water. <laughs> and it's definitely a lot more challenging when you're holding your son, trying to go down a mountain, slippery on the water. But he was scared. And, and I think about this now. Back then it was rough, and I don't know what Ethan's memories will be of that. Maybe he needs to go to counseling after that. I don't know. <laughs> Dad, why'd you let me go through that? When I look back at that, I love it because I got to hold him close to me. I cherish that moment. And when we go through storms of life, and, and I'm saying, hey, let's, let's take David's attitude. One thing I know for sure is the storms of life drive me closer to the heart of my father. Yeah. And those things that I might be tempted to say, God, why are you letting me go through this? He'd say, those are the times we've been the closest. I love those times because we've been the closest. None of that was in my notes. Something special for you today. David took on that attitude in verse 13. So David and his men proceeded along the road as Shmi was going along the road of the hill opposite him. And Shmi went and cursed David and threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Kicked up dust. Some of you might be familiar with the passage in the New Testament where Jesus sends them out two by two to go preach the gospel and bring the, and, and peace. And, and he says to, to them, anyone who does not receive you, go ahead and leave that house and kick the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. That was to say, I'm not, you're not worthy of me even having the dust on your feet. It was, it was an insult. And so he's throwing stones at him and he's kicking up dust. And yet David had this great faith. He, let, he said, let him live. The Lord told him to do this to me. David's attitude is submission. But David, David, you have rights. You're the king. You have a right to stand for yourself. David said, the only rights I have come from God. 
and God will deal with this the way it's supposed to be dealt with. We don't always do this, right? We want to stand for our rights, right? Or even get even. Who does that person think he is to do that to me? I have a right not to be treated this way. I'm going to do something about it. But not David. Again, this, this is why David is a man after God's heart. I, can't, I, I try to imagine the amount of trust he has in God to be able to say, and to trust that God is good. Look, God's doing this to me. He must have been 100% bought in to God's righteousness and God's rightness. And he accepted it and he walked through it because he believed it was God's will. There's another, just like I said, he's a Christ type. There's another man in the Bible who had that same kind of faith times a billion. Jesus. We just read about it in the middle of this service. He's in Gethsemane. He's facing down the ridicule. He knows what's about to happen. He's about to, there's gonna be stones thrown at Jesus. He's gonna be chastised. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He had rights. He could have at any moment, they tell us, he could have at any moment called a legion of angels and said, forget all of you. It's over. And some of us would say, why didn't you do that? You deserved it. And he might say to us what David said to Abishai, do we have nothing in common? Do you understand what I'm doing right now? God is doing this. The Father wants me to go through this. I'm asking him if there's any other way. Jesus, I'm asking him if there's any way for this to be accomplished, let it be. But God wants me to go through this. Why? For you. He's not satisfied with just being the King of Kings. He wants us to know him as our Lord and Savior, as our friend, as our brother. And that's not possible without the attitude, even like David had, but much far, far greater significance where he says, let this, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. David acted on that kind of faith. Jesus acted on that kind of faith. Also, you and I can be saved, restored, furnished with purpose and a fantastic future, and ultimately so we can know him. Amen? Bow your heads with me and we're gonna pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Again, we, we look here and it's still getting tough for David. But these difficulties are starting to pull out that heart that we once read about. It's, this is kind of part of how you're restoring him. You're pulling out that heart after you through all of this. And David's attitude is open to you. He says, okay, Lord, have your way. Listen, this is painful. I don't like it. But if this is what you want, Lord, here I am. He has a heart after you. We want to have a heart like that. And we can trust 
because we have your word, that, 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 that you're not gonna hurt us in ways that do anything but bring good. You'll allow things, but yes, you'll walk through those things through us. And if we'll press into you, you'll pull us close to yourself when we go through those things. All because Jesus took on the same faith, saying, God, I don't want to go through this, but if it's your will, I'll do it for them. Help us, Lord, today. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.